0: They say that first impressions count, but what if people's impression of you is never who you actually are? I'm Gem Turner. I'm a three-foot-one wheelchair-using disabled Yorkshire ass who's fascinated by people and human connection. This podcast will delve into the weird and wonderful interactions we all have every day, because I know we've all got those stories. I'll be interviewing some of my favorite people to find out their own unique experiences too, so hopefully we can all learn something together. So sit back, relax, if you can, and enjoy!
1: career you know like think back then and think oh man like did I really get a guitar out and sing it then
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna bring that up today actually that was like one of my favorite moments <laughs> oh, yeah like, go on shame me don't
1: worry no no god no <laughs> god no
0: so onmic who are you and can you visually describe yourself for the listener's uh, listening to the podcast today.
1: My name is Onamik, Onamik Saha. I identify as a British South Asian man. I was born and bred in London um, or where London hits Essex actually as you can probably tell by my accent. Um, yeah so I look pretty brown, black hair, okay, wear glasses which I think a bit of a trademark um, and yeah.
0: Thank you so much for coming on today Onamik. Just for context for the listeners, you and my I... Uh, lecturer when I first started University of Leeds. Um, what was the official module that you talked about? The module
1: was called um, critical theories of media I think so it was a really theoretical course introducing you to like uh, media media and communications theory. Um, I'll tell you what Gemma actually that was a really that was a really special class that was a really special class and um, just Um, And and for me, that was exactly when teaching clicked for me, actually, because there's the thing. I don't know if many of your listeners are like students, but um, here's something that might surprise you. But we as lecturers are scared of you as much as you might be intimidated by us. Um, One of the things even like I I speak to professors and they and they they all still. And again, this might surprise you, but they all even the most high profile, most well respected, established academic feels imposter syndrome that one day there'll be a student in the class who will expose you for the fraud that you are. And so when when I started off teaching, you know, you kind of try, you try and pack as much as you can in just to show students, I know my stuff, I know my stuff, honest. Um, And then with your class, I kind of, which was probably my second year of teaching like full time, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna rather than be anxious about people thinking I'm not actually that smart because I didn't feel that smart, um, despite the PhD and all that. I'm actually just going to focus on what do I want these students to get out of this class? And how can I, you know, because we were dealing with quite complex theory, jam you know, I wanted to show you why it was still relevant and how applicable it was to, to you know, to your lives so thinking of examples and illustration and all that, so so I completely something clicked and I completely more became more about what do you guys need? What can I do to help you understand? And so yeah, so that that cl- and you guys were just amazing. It was just such a nice vibe in the classroom. It was about I think about maybe seventy or eighty of you in that classroom, um maybe less than that. So it was yeah, I got to know you all quite well, and yeah, it was a really special time. And so it's I mean I'm I'm thrilled. I'm always thrilled to hear from students, but especially you, Gem, because, yeah, you've definitely left a mark. Oh,
0: thank you. I mean... <laughs>
1: in a good way, in a good way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I always leave some kind of mark. Um, yeah, I think, I wonder if it's because we were quite... It it always felt, even though it was quite a in-depth, complex topic, it, it felt very two-way. It never felt like you were just talking at us for an hour and then, you know we leave there was a lot of interaction between us you'd get your guitar out
1: I wish you did yeah I wish you wouldn't bring that up Gem that was the one and only time I ever brought out a guitar um <laughs> do you remember do you remember the song I sang at you
0: I don't it was a sort
1: of serious I, I remember what it was I remember it, it was um, of all people it was Justin Bieber Um, Actually, you know what I was doing, because I was showing, I was talking about, there was this, obviously, I don't know if you remember, Theodore Adorno is a very famous German philosopher, who was, who basically was really critical of the media for churning out the same, like, thing over and over and over again, like, you know, so I used, um, I used the guitar, and like I said, the only, the one and only time I've ever done this, because actually it was, uh, on the way into work that day, I was thinking, yeah, this is good, this will be fun, this will keep the students engaged, and afterwards, I was like, God, that was a horrible mistake, but I basically, illustrated and you've probably seen a youtube video with all this stuff but um how a lot of your favorite songs all use the same chords in exactly the same pattern um and yeah it was justin bieber was yeah and into the police into i can't remember but um yeah that was that i yeah and that, I, I mean it, yeah it was horrifying experience for for you and for me i'm assuming uh, but <laughs> but that, i guess that was my approach just trying to make this stuff this complex theory I mean Theodore Adorno who's an old dead white guy who wrote about 100 years ago trying to make him relevant and make it stick to today you know that's a big challenge for those of us who teach him but he, you know, there's still value there and I think hopefully I illustrated that for you in that class you seem to get it anyway
0: yeah and I, th- I think it's all about making education accessible as well because we, we remembered it we remember it now we're still talking about it <laughs> Like years down the line so it definitely stuck like yeah don't be don't be horrified because I always remember <laughs> I always had to sit right at the front like right at the front um which I always used to feel a bit like se- segregated you know towards <laughs> everyone else um but when you got that guitar out, I was like I don't mind sitting
1: at the front row. Oh, God, front row. <laughs> Do you find that in when you're elite? I mean, because um, obviously these lecture rooms, when they were originally designed, there was probably not much thought about accessibility. They were all based on like steps, right? Yeah. Um, and I think they the modern updating is to basically remove a couple of seats at the front for like wheelchairs. Mm. Was that? Did you feel like uh, your experience of university you were hindered, like in that respect?
0: Yeah, I think. It was very much internalised, though. It always felt a little bit like it was me. I was the the difference. It, it took me a very long time to learn the social model of disability and looking at the environment rather than the person. And it, it never felt like university was for me, if I look back. Like, I, every, every time I met a lecturer, I'd be thinking, I wonder what they think of me i wonder how they're going to treat me i wonder if i'm going to have to be cuz this whole podcast is about you know first impressions of people and the fact that actually i felt like i always have to give 200% i have to be the sparkling unicorn to people because that'll make them feel better which is so ridiculous and detrimental really to mental health that I've just started to realise that, you know, I'm going on and on, now. but
1: yeah. no, yeah. I when I mean, that's something I can relate to, you know, universities that ableist spaces, but also you know they're very white spaces. So for like students of colour and, and 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 staff of colour, you know, it, it's the same thing. You kind of end up feel like you can end up feeling like you're performing your identity in a way that puts. I mean, what you just said really ties where you almost feel like you're you're you you have to reassure the people around you actually i'm all right i might look a bit different but actually i'm a, i'm just like you yeah you know um and yeah you end up it's kind of weird you end up kind of performing your identity in a way you know but but in a way that you think that they would understand and you end up as a result kind of covering up certain parts of your identity because you don't think you you, you kind of get frightened that you know. The other person might not get it and you know might exclude you for whatever reason I mean my first impressions of you Jen were actually you were like <laughs> you were mouthy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you weren't shy no
0: um
1: and and yeah and, and you were clearly like really popular with your with your cohort but I guess what you're kind of suggesting actually was that that was sort of something that you felt an identity you had to perform yeah yeah I
0: did I did and it was it took my soul, university took my complete energy to the point where when I got home, I didn't know who I was because I was just like, where's my stage? Where's my, I've got no one to perform to. Like, what do I do now? So it, yeah, it was it changed my life, but also, you know, it started something different as well, which was interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Sorry, we've yeah, we Yeah, well, you
1: definitely... I mean, I thought it's worth, Gem. I think you definitely left a mark on a lot of people around you. You did on me, and um, yeah, Um, I'm sorry that yeah, kind of the amount of emotional labour I guess it takes, like you know, something that people don't ever get to see.
0: Mm.
1: And that's what you just described. So yeah, I can relate to that a bit. um,
0: So let's flip it. So I'm interested to hear what your journey is. How you got to, well, how you
1: got to where you are now? Yeah, yeah. So, like, so I'm an academic. So I work at, um, so we met when I was working at the University of Leeds, but now I work in London, yeah. um, Goldsmiths University of London, which is actually where I did my undergraduate degree. So, like, I grew up in a pretty, like I said, a kind of where London hits Essex, essentially. So it was a bit, it was quite suburban, I guess, but um, it was also, it felt like it had the multicultural of London, you know, it kind of spread out to that. Neighborhood. So I I grew up in quite a multicultural neighborhood. And um, so I was, so the school I went to was like very Asian, very Jewish, actually. There was a very um, large Jewish community there. And so it was about third Asian, third Jewish, third white. So I grew up in this really multicultural neighborhood and school, which was a really fun experience, actually. And I'm I'm really grateful to have had that experience. But I always felt a little bit different. Mm. Even amongst the Asian kids, I always felt a bit different. I think it was something about like the way the kind of music I was into the way I talk, the kind of books I was into, I just felt like I didn't really kind of conform to particular expectation of what Asian kids should do. So, for instance, at my school, when I was picking A-levels, I did art and English and history, whereas a lot of my Asian mates would do, went down the maths and sciences route. So immediately I kind of struck out. I was really into grunge and like Nirvana. I was a massive Nirvana, so I had long hair, more DMs, my shirt out and you know and and these were mates of mine like I was mates with the Asian kids but they all say take the mickey out of me and that was you know it was all banter it wasn't and it thankfully it wasn't any more harmful than that but it did get me thinking about well what's going on am I just like trying to assimilate into white society am I like denying my Asianness? you know because I'm not into what the other Asian kids are into which was interesting to me like in terms of music I was into grunge they were into hip-hop and RB, which aren't particularly Asian genres but they obviously identified with, you know, the kind of predominantly black performers in those genres. So anyway, the reason I'm saying this is because when I went to university, it was actually when I really kind of started kind of understanding why I felt the way that I did. So I did media and communications, which is the same degree that you did, right? Um, I did it with the idea that I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be like Spike Lee or something, but Actually, it was the theoretical side of the course that really kind of captured me. And one of the things that it catched me to think, um, one of the ways in which it got me thinking about my experiences was um, through thinking about, through the work of, I don't know if you remember these names, but people like Stuart Hall and Paul Gilroy, who were like really famous and brilliant kind of academic scholars, if you like, you look at issues of race, cultural identity. And what they taught me was that while I felt that, was I denying my authentic Asian identity. Actually, no, there is no such thing as authentic Asian identity. Identity is wherever we make it, you know, and and it's always changing. Um, There's nothing, as I said, there's nothing authentic about being Asian. Yeah, a lot of Asians share the same experiences in the same way that, you know, a lot of gay people share the same experiences, a lot of disabled people share the same experiences, but actually our cultures are a mix. They're hybrid of lots of different elements. And, 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 And also what it got me thinking about, which is why I'm here now, is it got me thinking about the role media play in kind of shaping our ideas of difference, if you like, of others, to use a kind of academic phrase. So, and and that can be in, generally it's in deeply problematic ways. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in a moment, Mm. Gemma, but at least the representation of disabled people or people of colour or women, and, you know, it generally occur according to the same, if it's not, horribly stereotypical and offensive it at the very least happens according to the same I call them tropes so like different types of representations right um and again we can talk about that in a minute but also I learned that actually, media is also the space where we can challenge those representations where we can actually try and do something that feels progressive that feels radical that feels like you know we're giving proper recognition to people who otherwise are marginalized and excluded in society in lots of different ways so so doing that degree helped me think about the role media plays um in shaping our ideas of difference as I put it of like people who you know might appear different to us I'm doing the Click. scare quotes I like know can equate. no one can see me for that that's what I'm doing and so I wanted to study that more and that took me into kind of actually doing research into the experience of british south asian people in the media what are the challenges they're facing what you know what motivated them to enter these kind of careers whether it's in television or theater or publishing you know and what are they trying to do with their art is there a politics to what they're trying to do and if so to what extent are they able to really fulfill their creative aesthetic political ambitions or to what extent do they have to conform
0: yeah you
1: know to the white middle class able-bodiedness of these industries you know to what extent do they have to fall you know it goes back to what we were just saying to what extent do you have to perform your identity in a way that the dominant group the status quo or the dominant culture understand in order to get our art out there mm-hmm. so that was that so that's what my PhD was on and yeah I'm I'm really grateful higher education is a bit of a mess I've got to be honest with you Jen it's not the funniest place to work in right now not, you know the pandemic definitely hasn't helped but at the same time, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to be able to learn more about this topic. that I feel really passionate about on a personal level and also kind of teach it as well um, to students who I know are similarly invested in these issues. I certainly feel like your generation, Gemma, I feel like you you guys like, you know, really understand the importance of media. I mean, you're always on it, aren't you? You're always on yeah, social media. and some capacity. Oh, wow. But um, you, you recognize how these spaces are really important. Whereas I don't think there was always that recognition before. I think media was just seen as entertainment. You know, this is just something that we consume passively. But actually, it's so crucial, almost. These days, I would argue that media is almost more important than politicians. You know, I feel like media celebrities have bigger influence over politicians, which is something we might take for granted now. But actually, when you think about it, that's kind of perverse, isn't it? <laughs>
0: you
1: know, politicians are there to serve our interests. but. You know, but I'm not sure if that really happens.
0: Well, yeah, that makes me, I don't know whether that makes me really happy or really sad that, you know, media exactly. is more powerful than politicians because, yeah.
1: I mean, I'd rather listen to Stormzy on, you know, the state of race politics in Britain than any of the current cabinet.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: You know, I think he, he knows what's going down more than anyone in that room.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: and that's—I mean—that and that's kind of crazy. Actually, when you think about it, like I said, we kind of we take that for granted. But actually, that's kind of bonkers. Actually, yeah, Disney dizzy some some title.
0: And actually, what?
1: <laughs> what knows about these politics better than the cabinet cabinet current cabinet, anyway?
0: Yeah, that's it's mad to think about. And actually, you know, I have actually got a few friends would listen to Stormzy in a you know in a performance. And be like, oh yeah, I listen to that. I, I get that, and it is powerful. Like rather than listening to to say Nicola Sturgeon, yeah, doing a speech, they would be like, oh, she goes again, so it is powerful and it does work.
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, in some ways, it's more democratic, right? Because these are you know, in order to to be a politician, in order to come to power, you need to you know, it's it's no coincidence that they pretty much all went to the same school or university. Mm. Even did the same degree. You know, that's again, that's kind of crazy to think about. Um, and in some ways, actually, the media is a more democratic space. You know, you like to think that if you've got talent, you can kind of make it. We all know that, you know, is it's much more complicated than that. And there's also an element a few you know. But at least it feels like there's people from marginalized backgrounds who can at least get some kind of foot in the door and have a pla- and gain a platform to say something. Obviously. And this is what my whole research is about. That doesn't happen enough. And the and the cultural industries aren't open enough. I call them the cultural industries, you know, essentially I'm talking about media, right? Um, Whether it's television, film, books, music. Um, Yeah. So my research is precisely about who those doors are open to and who they are. not But nonetheless, there have been why I think it is so important it's because it has afforded some people from as I say underrepresented communities to gain a platform and to shift our understandings of those particular communities um, in really profound important ways I mean generally I mean I know like with your own experiences and interests do you feel like sorry I'm turning this on you (laughs) (laughs) it's more fun for it to be a conversation because I know I can learn a lot from you as well but I mean what what do you feel about do you feel like there's been a shift in the way that disabled people have been represented in media
0: yeah I mean when we were talking about doing this podcast something that I wanted to sort of speak about was the idea of representation in terms of when it's good and when it's not so good and so when I first did our module, I kept banging on to you about Glee, do you can remember? I was like, I love Glee, it's so inclusive and diverse. oh, God. I mean, if you look back now, it was the most problematic programme on TV. But I think something that I'm really interested in is, you know, when we're so desperate for that representation and to show people it's cool to be, you know, who you are that you'll just take anything and, you know, the people who are creating these programs are like patted on the back because they've done it as well. And, you know, uh, what I'm referring to is there's a character called Artie who's a wheelchair user and he's not even a wheelchair user, you know. It's just sad that that was my first celebration and it wasn't Mm. even real.
1: It's. I mean, there's two. There's two things I would kind of I think about when you when you kind of tell me that, and one. I, and one is something I can relate to directly. So, like saying when I was growing up in the '80s, um, you never saw brown people on TV, and we, and we used to play a game called Spot the Asian, where you basically watch TV. Me and my sister watched TV for hours, and the minute um, like you saw any kind of Asian on TV, you'd scream the house down. Everyone would come around and surround the TV set and like gawp at this image. You know and like it didn't matter if they were like a shopkeeper or a terrorist, it was some kind of recognition. I remember I don't know if you watched Indiana Jones and The Temple of Doom,
0: years um, ago, yeah. Which
1: is like actually when you you know the horrendously racist film. But at the time, it was you know, they were Asians, you know, some of them were good, you know. Lot of them are baddies who were the fried monkey brains, and like you know, <laughs> there was just really, really weird, really, really weird. Uh, some really weird uh, kind of images, uh, which I can laugh about now. But at the same time, it was it, it felt like recognition. It felt like God, we are we are here, no matter how problematic that is. But you know what, Gemma, you know, and and I, I agree with you know, there's so many problematic things like this, especially when you watch it now. And the fact that you know the the one. Um, kind of guy in a wheelchair doesn't actually use a wheelchair in real life is you know kind of says a lot about the marginalization of disabled actors um in in these industries but nonetheless it still meant something to you it still felt at that moment it did feel empowering right um and I think we've got to take that seriously I mean I think one of the things as well is that we can can you know in that context, in that particular moment, it was representative of something. You know, they were kind of, that show was kind of multiracial. There were like queer characters as well, if I remember correctly. I was never a huge fan of Glee, Gemma, I've got to be honest with you. But nonetheless, <laughs> I was kind of aware of it. And, 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 you know, we can't deny that those, I guess there's two points I want to make. One is that these optics are still really important. They still matter. And they, even in the most problematic ways, they can still be perversely empowering for us. But secondly, what can we do bearing in mind that how important those optics are, what can we do to make them more inclusive and to make them more, um, make, yeah, kind of, you know, actually affords opportunities to underrepresented communities.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, that I mean, it's it's a really interesting issue that, that, you know, the actor, who's the, the, the character who's in a wheelchair was played by an actor who wasn't. We've seen this throughout, time especially you know still characters often who play gay characters actors who play gay characters aren't always gay themselves I and mean, I'm, I'm thinking my my kids are really into modern family and i think one of the is that right one of the one of the gay couple in there is actually gay. in fact and 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 kind of um slightly troublingly for me he's he's he 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 acts the more camp if you like in that relationship so the more camp character is played by a straight Guy, someone who identifies as straight, um, you know that, that's kind of it's a, it's a tricky one because on the one hand, yeah, why surely there's loads of gay people who could play that role, right? Um, and so it makes you think about the homophobia within these industries. But at the same time, sometimes that can restrict underrepresented communities, so you can only play certain types of characters. That's the kind of the inverse, right? Yeah. So on the one hand, it's like, how the hell view you, you know got got a straight actor to play this gay character but then on the other side of the coin you say well James Bond can never be black you know because it's they play on the same kind of discourse of authenticity mm. and so yeah. sometimes those debates can end up constraining us more but nonetheless it's still do you, I mean do you watch that show now and you hate it do you feel really embarrassed? Sounds like it
0: Yeah I do feel embarrassed I think you've kind of oh, you've expanded my brain there though that I do think it's part of the journey because if I didn't like that then I wouldn't have learned about representation and then I wouldn't have gone on to the next bit of well how could it have been better so you know I just maybe it's maybe it's about people who watch it and then they think that's it it's done we've we've cracked it I think that's where my my doubt trickles really
1: I remember um, I remember seeing someone, um, actually a PhD student at Leeds, giving a research paper on like the Paralympics, becoming a really important moment in the changing and transformation of representation of disabled people in this country. What did you think about that? Did, do you see that as a kind of key moment? Or
0: Yeah, I've got different views on that. Um, I think, it, I, of course, I feel like celebrating disability is a huge thing. And, um, you know, any any opportunity we have to do that, great. But I think for me, it kind of reinforces the inspirational side of disability. And, you know, I'll go out, even just going to a pub, I'll get pats on the head from people and they'll say, isn't it lovely, you know, you're so inspirational for for coming out, you do so well. So I think it's that thing of, like, because people are watching Paralympic, Paralympians do extraordinary things, we, we're taught that disabled people are extraordinary. I can't run a marathon or, well, wheel a marathon or, you know, I'm just... You're pretty uh,
1: mediocre, Gem, aren't you? Yeah,
0: just a trap <laughs> for a living. Like, I, just
1: like me, just like me. So really, yeah, I understand, yeah. Hard, it's hard,
0: particular... it is hard.
1: I mean, okay, the one thing, I mean, here's a, here's a question for you. And it, there's, I'm giving you an option, but there's, I think the clear answer is the third option, which I'm not going to say. But would you prefer to watch a representation of, you know, someone in a wheelchair that actually really pointedly talks and explores the complex experiences of being in a wheelchair? Mm. Or would you watch something where there's a character in a wheelchair and their kind of disability isn't even talked about? It's just they happen to be in a wheelchair, but it doesn't really even get addressed. What do you think? What would be more important to you?
0: Um, I think the second option would bring more people along. Hmm. I think do you feel
1: like the first one would alienate people or, or put them off somehow.
0: Yeah, I think we're in a culture not not a cult, I don't know we're in a society where people are sick of being educated, almost like the sick of. Not like you work in education. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: That's not what my student feedback is said. <laughs> Either, you know. No, I know what you mean. I know you, mean. Person, you
0: know. Some,
1: sometimes it can feel heavy-handed, is that what you're suggesting? Like yeah. you beat over the head.
0: And like you go on social media and everyone's telling each other, you know, we've got pretty infographics of how to behave. And I f- I feel like some people are done with being told how to be, that's why I'm trying to do things that's entertaining and not just, you should do this. So maybe representation where it's fun, you know, you can make people laugh or, you know, it's emotional. I don't know. And there's no right answer. It's just, you know, that's something that I would enjoy, I think. What about you?
1: No, I mean, that's what I'm getting at. There's no right or wrong way Mm. to... And that, uh, to represent people from these un- from underrepresented communities, whether it's based on the, you know their colour or sexuality or gender and so on, um, there's no right or wrong, wrong way. It's so funny though, because I don't know if you've noticed this, Gemma, but like so often in social media, in particular, you kind of we we, we you know we're so quick to mm. kind of call out you know TV shows like being racist or sexist, transphobic or ableists. How many, I don't know if you, you know, like how many times you've fallen in love with a TV show and you want to share it with your mate, and then your mate's like, oh, I can't believe you like that. That's the no most sexist program ever. You know, <laughs> we're so we get, you know, we all have that annoying mate. I feel like I might be that annoying mate. I think if you spoke to my wife, she'd probably say I'm that annoying, exactly that annoying guy. Like, I think I've ruined really you know about 90% of the television she watches. Um but <laughs> but but um this stuff's so fraught. And I guess one of the things that I really want certainly students to get their heads around is that complexity. There's no right or wrong way. Mm. And, and the danger is, I think sometimes we can end up being a bit tick boxy. We want to get everything so right. We want the media we consume to get the, to represent everyone correctly that it can end up becoming a bit tick boxy. Yeah. So you then kind of end up kind of shoehorning in a kind of disabled character for the sake of ticking a box rather than actually you're really genuinely interested in the experience. Mm and their worldview Um, and and that's yeah and this stuff is complex representational politics is complex and you know what Gemma we can watch the same show we can have wildly divergent views on it you know we I'm guessing as well we probably have similar outlooks we probably might share even you know I don't want to assume anything but I'm guessing as well we probably share similar politics but even despite that you know we both have we both have experienced being marginal in this society um, but even that, we can still get, have wildly divergent opinions yeah. on, you know, on, on, on particular representations. For me, the bigger issue, bearing all that in mind, the bigger issue is to what extent are media or the cultural industries, as I call it, open yeah. to people from? I tried. I've done really well not to use the D word. Have we used the word diversity term? I don't know. Oh, if we no.
0: have yeah. No.
1: Okay, so, okay, I'll, I'll use it now just because I'm feeling a bit lazy. Um, but to make more, sorry, I'm, as you can sense, I'm a bit ambivalent about that word, and maybe we can talk about it later if you're interested. But how can we make them more media more diverse? Because it's not. It's not. It's run by the same people. There might be some diversity in the lower echelons of culture industries, but in the end, the people making the decisions are all the same dudes, you know, quite frankly. Um, and that affects stories that we want to be able to tell about ourselves whether we want to talk about our experience of being marginal or but Gemma maybe you might want to you know if you if you got an opportunity to write that film you always wanted to do maybe you might just wanted to write some really crappy science fiction film you know yeah you don't want to talk about disability you know you don't you shouldn't have that burden put on you to talk about that Mm. you should be you should have the right to produce a really cheesy rom-com
0: yeah yeah you know
1: um but there's almost a way, as I talked about, there's a kind of a pressure for us to tell our stories, to perform. It's not even tell our stories, because actually our stories are really amazing and rich and complex, but we're expected to perform in a way that conforms to, well, you know, tell us, we really want to hear about your experience in the wheelchair, Jen. But, you know, the minute you start talking about, you know, your love life, you know, they don't, they're like, well, that's not what we're looking for. We want to talk more about, you know, your struggles, getting, you know, it's like that.
0: Yeah it is
1: anything you want to share about your love life jeb
0: it's it's not very active at the moment on the makebook well I think for
1: most people i think it's pretty it's pretty dead it's
0: pretty dwindled at the moment but I'm <laughs> in
1: this it, pandemic time
0: pandemic i'm getting out there um yeah I, I had a recent sort of similar thought about social media and you know i'm very active on social media and I had this thing and I was talking to my friend Thierry who's um, black and he works in the digital side of the media. So he does like SEO and stuff like that. And we were saying um, how sometimes we don't want to be an advocate. We just want to talk about our favourite snacks or we want to, you know, talk about what we did last week. And and it, it's it's being the person you want to be. Without feeling like you have to educate, and yeah. I find that quite a, a balance. Do you have anything? Yeah,
1: I mean, I kind of I feel this way about like my, my teaching because I, I read and write and teach about race, and that came that's come from a genuine place, you know, because I'm really interested in these issues. I'm investing in these issues. I want to share my like thoughts and ideas with the world. Right. Mm. At the same time, I do worry that I've been pigeonholed.
0: Yeah.
1: As as the race media guy. Mm um and i feel like i wonder how much people i had to look i had an experience the other day which kind of made me think do they just you know on the one hand i'm recognized and that's given me that's afforded me some opportunities and that's given me a bit of a platform but then also i'm kind of those interests are seen as marginal and niche so therefore i'll never really be part of the senate i'll always be on the margins and that's the perverse thing jem is that our experiences actually perversely provide us some opportunities they they Deny us a lot of opportunities in all kinds of profound ways, mm. but also they do. If we, like I said, if we, like, and, and and sometimes that becomes because we do genuinely care about these issues and we want to share that, you know, like you know, that's a political imperative, isn't it? A political motivation, but the minute we do that, then that kind of puts us in a category, doesn't it? It puts us in a box. And yeah, and you end up having to you kind of feel this it's called the burden of representation. Stuart Hall calls it the burden of representation where you feel like I've got this platform, so I better use it to, you know, represent my community, whoever they might be. Mm. But that can be so limiting. Um I remember speaking in, as part of my research, I, I, I did some research research recently on the publishing industry who are absolutely obsessed with the they recognize they've got no diversity within their ranks, they're trying really hard in all kinds of clumsy ass ways. Jen, yeah. to to you, But nonetheless, they are trying. And um, I remember speaking to one young black woman who worked in the publishing house, she was the only black woman in this office. And this is before pandemic. So people were still going to work then. And she was just saying she felt like all eyes were on her all the time. She felt like she'd got this opportunity. And there's an expectation that she was goes to what you said about you know, she had to be exceptional. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she what she says, she says I'm really pointed. She's like, I just want to be mediocre. I just want to be like, you know, the person who sits next to me, the white person who's there, who isn't that great at their job, who just kind of goes in, does their bit and then leaves. Yeah. I just want to have the same privilege to be mediocre. I want to have the, I mean, you can imagine that line. I want to have the same privilege to be mediocre rather than have the light shine on me. And, you know, I've got to represent all black people now in publishing. I've got to show them. I've got to be like, so exceptionally good in order for them to actually have see that black people can succeed in this space Mm. and for them to then hire more black people you know this is a tremendous burden Um, and there's
0: no room for error either exactly exactly.
1: and we all work with people who are just you know they're very nice but ultimately a bit shit at their job And and they're gonna be fine. Yeah. No one they, they go unnoticed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we notice because they're laying their emails for the typos and blah blah blah. But nonetheless, it's a privilege to be mediocre. I've I mean, <laughs> never really put it in those terms, but it, it kind of yeah.
0: We should we should remember that phrase. I feel like that's a, <laughs> a powerful phrase. Put it in a
1: t-shirt. Yeah. There's plenty of, you know, it's so funny where like, especially in media, you'll hear people say, you know, if it's good, we'll publish it, or if it's good, we'll commission it. If it's good, it doesn't matter who did it. it doesn't matter the colour skin, it doesn't matter who they are. If it's good, we'll put it out. But, yeah, actually, media's responsible for... Are we allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah, yeah the media's responsible for a lot of shit. Mm. And, in fact, there's a, you know... I'm sorry, but producers of Love Island probably they might be proud of what the show's achieved but they i'm I'm sure pretty much all of them would would not admit that this is quality television (laughs) you know what i mean but there's an understanding they know what works with their particular audience yeah that's that's the thing so what this notion of like if it's good well actually what 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 do you understand as good Mm. Um, and often that is so culturally biased you know if you all go to the same university if the media's run by all the people who went to the same school, literally, yeah. then that notion of good can going to be really narrow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, like, when I used to work, I, I worked at the unit after I graduated. Yeah, well, college. maybe you did that, yeah. And I remember I used to organise events with the careers team um, around, you know, access and, um, you know, getting disabled people uh, into graduate jobs. For me, around this kind of topic, it's like, it's qual- quality versus quantity, and people yeah. always look at the quantity rather than the power of how good it is. Yeah.
1: I mean, so much of, like, uh, quality is measured by, yeah, exactly that, like bums and seats, and that's precisely the problem, isn't it? Um, yeah. Because, well, it just kind of underestimates how important representation is and it's so much important it's so much more complex to capture and I, we live in a world where we have to quantify everything
0: mm.
1: you know what i mean in order to show that this is working or not yeah we have to quantify everything and actually these issues are so much more complicated than you know they go beyond like crude measures yeah um and that's that's the hard thing especially when we're dealing with culture mm. You know, which is such an important, obviously it's such a, sorry, I was about to say culture is so important. It is our lives, right? Yeah. Um, But like cultural commodities, by which I'm talking about films, books, TV shows, you know, album, music albums, these are, they are commodities, aren't they? They are, you know, they are, we buy and sell them and people earn living off making them. And so, you know, the more popular your cultural commodity, the the more like you can actually have a livelihood. And for underrepresented communities, we can't, you know, we can't shirk at that. That's so important when we're so, you know, afforded so little economic opportunities in comparison to our able-bodied, white, middle-class counterparts. But nonetheless, they're more than that as well. They're more than... It's not washing powder, you know. It's It's not a can of baked beans. This stuff matters as well. Optics matter. Visibility matters. It's complex. It's more complex than we sometimes give these issues credit for. And as I kind of, you know, that little thought experiment earlier about what kind of representation of disability would you rather see? I mean, I think the third answer there was both. You want to see both. You want, you want, you want to be able to educate people, right? Um, mm. and 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 and, sh- and reveal more about, you know, your experience, which the vast majority of people will never get a grip on, or at least never get to see. But on the other hand, you don't want that to define you either. And so we need to, so to you put it in a really really ac- academic terms gem so um, apologies to you and your listeners but we need to broaden the regime of representation so it goes back to, to what way you know the ways in which kind of people of color women gay trans people disabled people the way in which those groups are represented or often according to very just a very narrow range of tropes a very if you or if you like a very narrow range of storylines like you know if the, ga- the representation of gay people in the media. I mean, how many times do we see that in a in a kind of coming out narrative? You know, like that's all gay people do is just come out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you <know>? That's it. <laughs> yeah, you know? um, gay experience is much more experience, much more complex than that. Quick experience is so much more complex. But you know, that's the kind of way we, we just see in these handful of ways. What, what would you say is um like what what tropes have you noticed in the way that kind of disabled peoples have been represented? what do you what where do you like roll your eyes? So here is another
0: kind uh, of. there's quite there's a few, but I'd say the most popular is um so have you seen me before you?
1: I don't know I haven't what's that No
0: so that's a classic uh, able-bodied man has an accident and then he's a wheelchair user. Um, paralysed and life is terrible. He meets a woman, uh, the woman cares for him, it's a beautiful romance and then at the end he decides he wants to end his life and it's framed in how beautiful that he found love and now he's painless and he's he's decided to he don't want to live. So there's that side of like tragedy and he's lost everything and how lovely that an able-bodied person still accepted him is, right. is kind of the frame. So you've got that. And then you've got, like, the mocking side. You know, you've got someone who might be in a high school and, uh, you know, they speak differently in air quotes. Everybody right. laughs at them. They're kind of a and, you know, they're not really taken seriously. Oh,
1: it was like comedy sidekick type of character. Yeah,
0: yeah. It doesn't get, doesn't get any. They're not sensitive. Romance so you know, that kind of thing. They're always the outsider. Um, And then I think you get more like kind of overcoming disability in quotes. So someone who might have a, say, speech impairment and then the practice and practice and practice. and then they do this grand performance and it's amazing and they're suddenly not disabled anymore. So I'd say, you know, those are a few examples of what you see. Um, and it's that have you heard of the term inspiration porn
1: Um, no I haven't but I think I know what you're going to get tell me again
0: yeah so it's that idea of like people basically buzz off people who make them feel better about themselves so people often say to me oh if I were you I couldn't do it you know Um, you make me see honestly I've had people say to me you know, every time I look at you, I think, "Oh, I feel so much better." <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> cheers!" Like, I'm
1: sorry for laughing, but <laughs> I mean that. I mean, God, I mean that's horrendous. I
0: mean, so, so it's that idea that like people seek positivity by looking at someone who's got it worse off. In quotes, kind of thing. Yeah. And and ever since I learned that i'll send i'll send you a video actually of where i learned it but from then it, it, it's just constant with that feeling yeah. that i have and i think that yeah that's that's the one that gets me every time because I mean, it's,
1: it's, it's yes yeah, it's, i mean obviously it's just totally patronizing i actually feel the same way about you know like hashtag first world problems I, you know we've all been guilty of using it but it's kind of actually patronizing to people from the global south that they don't you know care about you know, like slow broadband, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> or, or like, you know, uh, I don't know, like any kind of technological mishap, you know, people from the global SAP experience exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's just about, yeah, it's the way in which we centre, who gets centred and who's seen as other, you know, it's an othering, again, to use that academic phrase, it's an othering, we're made to feel other and they're just to perform for, you know, the dominant culture. Have you, um, Jem, I've seen one show which I thought had a really interesting depiction of a a wheelchair user, and that's um, Rami. Have you heard of that show? No. Rami. So it's on Channel 4 now, so you should watch it. It's on 4OD, and it's based around, like, a Muslim-American character. I think he's Egyptian. His family are Egyptian immigrants, and he's, like, born and bred in, like, New Jersey or somewhere. Yeah. And it's about his experience um, of, like, you know, it sounds kind of cheesy, actually. Kind of, I mean, he is kind of caught. It's such a cliche. Talk about tropes, and this is one about you know the immigrant trope, of being the child of an immigrant trope. So you're kind of caught between kind of your parents' traditional cult, you know, traditional in scare quotes, yeah, um, and and you know, kind of Western culture, and you don't know where you belong, you know. And, and to be honest, with you, Gem, I'm I'm child of immigrants, and it was much easier than that. I mean, yeah. it was it was kind of hilarious most of the time, actually. Um, they're not necessarily traumatic but nonetheless it's, so he explores that but i think the character um who plays this which is an award-winning show he's won golden globes for it it's brilliant and um, he's he's a really talented funny guy and i think he's he's his best friend in real life um i just looked it up as a guy called steve way um who yeah is an award wheelchair and, and he stars in it yeah. um and there's a really and what i like about this character and especially like everything he said he's He's kind of a jerk. So, on some ways, again, it fulfills that he's a side character. He's kind of funny, but he's also a bit of an asshole. <laughs> and you kind of see, and and you know, and 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 Rami kind of you know helps him in whatever you know in, in places where there isn't that much accessibility, and and he's obviously relying on Rami, but then also you know will be a jerk to Rami as well, and 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 there's really kind of kind of really pretty explicit kind of scenes of well anyway I'll, I'll save you I'll let you watch it maybe your listeners want to watch it as well it's on channel four
0: that and, um, lot, so everyone I'm should awesome.
1: be able to free to yeah so it should, it should be free to everyone to watch yeah. it's called rammy r-a-m-y and um and i like that because what i quite like sometimes you as you say you kind of especially if you're marginalized when you get centered you kind of have to fulfill a kind of hero type mm. you need to you know you need to just they they need to be exceptional characters in order for audiences to kind of really grapple with them. But you know, even someone like you, Gem, I'm sure you have some flaws. Some, nah, maybe not you. You're a bad example, but I know I do. You know, I'm, I'm, you, know, I'm you know like we all like all people. You know, we we're we're flawed and we make mistakes. We can be super cool as well um, and empathetic and and courageous but also we can be quite cowardly and like i say make a lot of mistakes mm. and sometimes in this moment of diversity where media is so obsessed with you know being inclusive you don't really get that complexity and you end up with quite one dimensional characters yeah. if you if you you know certainly i'm you know i'm interested in kind of race and media and like you put on netflix it's full of black and brown people having a whale of a time mm. I mean, honestly, they're having a really great... On on all these shows, they're having a great, great time. Yeah. Um, And that's, you know, lovely to see. And I'm glad to see actors from these communities getting opportunities. But again, like, what do we want from our media? It's got to be... I mean, sometimes I just want something mindless and entertaining. Yeah. You know, like everyone else, um, where I don't have to think too hard. Yeah. But other times... You know the stuff that's really left a mark on me has been, yeah, kind of stories that I haven't encountered that made me think differently. That have shown a, you know, a, a different lifestyle or experience where you know I have been educated. Mm-hmm. Don't want you don't want your media to be like too paternalistic, you know. Um, But at the same time, that is why it matters. Mm-hmm. This is why it matters.
0: Is there anything um, that sticks out for you in terms of? you know
1: you've watched something and you think oh my god they've got it Um, yeah yeah Um, i mean recently it's not necessarily about asian experience but steve mcqueen's small acts series Mm -hmm. on bbc i don't know if you've heard of those Mm. um steve mcqueen's a black british movie director he directed 12 years a slave i guess is his most famous film no And um, actually, he's quite an interesting character. So with Small X, what I was about to say is that he's done six films for the BBC, which have explored, they're one-off films, but they've each explored an experience, um, British Jamaican experience. Um, There was like, you know, sometimes they look at kind of issues of police brutality and resistance against police brutality. There was one recently, um, the one I was thinking of was about, uh, what was it? It was called Lovers Rock, and it was based around a party. Like where um, these were like they were called blues parties and they happened in like I think in the eighties, they were like big then, where where in the kind of jamaica black British Jamaican community, there they'd be massive house parties, basically. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of and this film was amazing because it was about black experience, but like it was it was about love and sexuality and sensuality, you know, and, and it was a beautiful film and music and the way music, the, the role music plays in 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 these lives um and it's a beautiful film what's quite interesting though um, why steve mcqueen's quite interesting and might be relevant to our conversation is that he started like i said he did 12 years of slave so he's won an oscar and he's kind of you know one of the few black british filmmakers who has kind of actually attained real fame for one of a better word but you know it's made really important films um but he kind of didn't start off tackling issues of race in his films initially. He was an artist, actually, he started off um, and then moved into film. And so his films didn't actually start off talking to race until, until later on. And then I was thinking about, and this is something that we, I was talking in my class last week, and we were talking about Mindy Kaling. Do you remember Min, that Min, Mindy Kaling? She was in the office and was in the Mindy show. You know, she's South yeah. Asian-American woman. Yeah. And so she's kind of... Um, and similarly, she kind of... She's one of the most um, important, influential actresses and showrunners in America right now um and similarly she kind of made a point of not doing issues of race until later on in her career yeah. another example is Aziz Ansari I don't know if you've seen that show Master of None on Netflix he's a stand-up comedian again South Asian American uh, born and bred in like South Carolina or somewhere but again didn't really he's brilliant he's really funny um but only really tackled issues of race later on in his career and I wonder if that's to what extent they chose did adopted those strategies on purpose do you know what we talked about earlier about mm. pigeonholing ourselves nice and because it's easy to do because yeah. when you have so few opportunities you know me being like the only kind of asian person studying these issues in academia it gives me an opportunity it gives me a niche if you like you know it gives me f- for you know to use a horrible word it gives me a brand identity right mm. and it really you know a word I feel very ambivalent about but And so that gives me some opportunities, but then it can kind of, it pigeonholes me and I'm only seen as that guy rather than someone who can talk about media more generally, for instance. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that's, you know, maybe that's the way we need to do it is kind of just try and get a foothold not talking about these issues. And then when we've got a bit of clout, where we've got a bit more power, we can actually tell these stories in ways that perhaps we wouldn't have been able to if we set out trying to tell these stories in the first instance.
0: Yeah. I'm not surprised that they started talking about race after because you know the meat I don't know what what is it like when you pitch something like that straight away like what's the reaction going to be yeah. you're so annoying that you have to get your talent out there first and then be like oh by the way I got this idea
1: yeah yeah no it no it is it's it's and it's about like um I mean this is a big argument I make like in my work is that people from underrepresented communities, we don't have the same creative freedoms mm. as our white middle-class able-bodied counterparts. Mm. We don't have the same creative freedom. Mm. We don't have the same freedom to fail. Because mm. if we fail, that's it, That's we're dead. Yeah. Whereas there's plenty of very well-known people who we see who can have flop after flop after flop, but they'll always have another chance. Yeah. self um, yeah naming their names so yeah <laughs> so yeah so again I feel like it is about access I know that's an overused word isn't it like mm-hmm. access inclusion and diversity these words are if you get underneath them they're like really they're really powerful mm-hmm. and actually they paradoxically do the opposite of what they intend to do yeah
0: yeah they're very buzzy buzzwordy yeah and i feel like sometimes the words have become less powerful because they're just used all the time
1: absolutely they lose them they lose their meaning don't they Mm -hmm. and and they're a way in which you know something like diversity of course who doesn't want more diversity right i mean it feels like you know i I was saying to this before we started the interview you know i feel it feels a bit crazy that i'm kind of critical of the use of the when people use the word diversity but often diversity gets a, what is specifically used so you don't have to talk about racism or ableism or sexism or transphobia you know it's a way of kind of softly addressing these issues without having to use the really uncomfortable words mm. yeah what does it mean to call the media racist what you know you get a very different reaction to saying we need to make the media more diverse yeah <laughs> it's immediately there's like two very different yeah. um tones um but I think only one of those is really going to attend to the actual inequalities that we see in media
0: yeah and just because you're in it doesn't mean that that's that's it because you've got a room (laughs) full of different people in quotes like that that's not job done is it
1: yeah no absolutely and also what's funny is the industry is so obsessed with getting underrepresented communities in that they kind of tend to forget that those people are leaving at a faster rate than they join because yeah. it's so it's it's because it's a really tough horrible experience because mm-hmm. of the different forms of discrimination you face yeah. media as well i mean what's really kind of interesting about media is it's it likes to see itself as very liberal um and so they like to you know and that's part of the push for diversity so they're embarrassed by how they don't have any diversity you know it's a general kind of liberal guilt if you like you know it's embarrassing when you look at your office and there's no people kind of no disabled no you know barely any kind of you know trans or gay people in it um and and they they you know they they kind of feel really guilty about that but then when they do address it as you say it just becomes about the optics it's like oh look we can we've got you know we can tick them off now yeah. i mean it's so funny like you know like there's always the percentage we need, you know, I, I think it's like 11, 12% of our organisation should be BAME, mm. Airquare. Or I think for disabled people, it's generally what, around like 3, 4, 5%, something uh, like that? Yeah. That's Yeah. Which I always kind of find those numbers funny because it seems like that's the num- that's the percentage where we're comfortable with. Mm. Imagine if you go over that. Imagine if like 10% Imagine. of your organisation are like, you know, have a disability we're well, gonna you're gonna make redundancies there's too many
0: yeah stop them there's too many
1: <laughs> this is a rep this is not representative um uh, <laughs> they're taking over i mean it's, it's
0: weird isn't it it is weird. i
1: mean so the way in which diversity gets talked about and conceptualized in terms of we need to you know i kind of almost hit this target like it's like winning the jackpot ding 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 we got 12 percent woo you know and and that's it. Job done. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, to what extent, it's all very well getting, you know, underrepresented communities in, but like, to what extent are they able to tell the stories that they want to tell? Mm-hmm. To what extent are they afforded the same freedoms as their white middle class able bodied counterparts? Mm-hmm. To what extent are they able to fail in the same way? Which I think is a bigger issue in media because so much media fails. You know, so much stuff doesn't do very well. Yeah. To what extent can you still, you know, build a career based on that fact? Yeah. That's that's yeah. Those are the issues I think I think are really pertinent
0: right now. It is. It's, it, I can definitely resonate in different ways with that. One other subject that I wanted to touch on was around that you know being the champion almost. You know I don't want to compare in any way because it's completely different. But I feel like you know I I can resonate with speaking about disability as my job. You know it, it's constant. It's every day
1: yeah you're right though it can feel all consuming and you feel guilty sometimes where you just like want to step away from it you know there's an you know a new campaign that's come up on your timeline and you feel almost guilt for like i just don't have the energy yeah. And that's so much about work is you know put on us. So this is a big debate in kind of activist circles, especially like anti-racist activism and so on. And there's so many resonances with like all other kinds of forms discrimination. But to what extent is it up to us to really fix the problem?
0: Yeah.
1: And it's put on us, you know, and I'm talking about us as in well, those from excluded marginalized backgrounds. You know, some some afforded more privilege than others in lots of ways, but nonetheless, um it's put this down to us to fix it and that's exhausting. And yeah. Um I feel like stepping away from social media is just gonna be have you ever have you ever shut off your Twitter? Have you actually deactivated it for a little bit? Never
0: deactivated it, no.
1: But I've... I, I I recommend it. I've done it like over Christmas, like over like Christmas holidays. And that's only because like you know my partner's always like you're always on your phone. Well you know um and I'm right and she's right. But um yeah, I deactivated it for like three weeks over the Christmas holidays. And it definitely changed my mood. Definitely. So I mean, social media is such an interesting thing because I I don't feel like I can deactivate it permanently. As much as I felt better for it, I feel like I can't. I feel like I'm kind of um, you know, um it's it's gonna have an adverse effect to my career. It's about I need to maintain a digital profile in order to kind of succeed and to grow and expand and you know, and then if we go back to that. Language of brand identity and all that kind of, yeah, the really horrible neoliberal language, but nonetheless, yeah. So, so, I, but I feel like, especially for people from marginalized backgrounds, I feel like social media is it's, it's been amazing, hasn't it? It's well, it's allowed us to stay in touch, I guess, yeah, right. You know, if, if we weren't on Twitter, I don't know if I, you know, maybe you might have thought me and dropped me an email, but at the same time, you're like, how the hell do I spell onomic again? I don't
0: know, yeah. <laughs> Google.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> I don't know. Was it with a no? Um, but um, he, uh, but it's, yeah, so it has been amazing. But also, I think it's like exhausting for us, especially, you know, for someone like you, Jem, who's obviously, you know, so passionate and vocal about these issues. And um, you, yeah, you can't step away, but, you know, have a little break, have a little two week you
0: know, break, it a... It's hard because if it wasn't for Twitter, I wouldn't have the job. That's yeah exactly oh, I hear that you know it, it it's been instrumental to having a voice where physically I wouldn't have had it whereas you know I can reach so many people so I feel like there's that you feel like you owe, owe it back which is ridiculous like you have to have time and I, I'm learning this more and like kind of why I'm asking is that in order to be powerful you have to rest because you don't yeah. get the experiences to talk about, you know,
1: the stuff that you want Absolutely. to do. So like, like self-care is a big buzzword right now. Yeah. We need to like, yeah, invest in self-care and especially in these moments. And that, that's about pampering ourselves, but it's also giving ourselves a break mm-hmm. in space. I think we just put, I think there is a burden of representation. I think that's probably exactly what you experienced, Jem. Um, it kind of, you know, a burden to do this work because mm-hmm. so few, you know, so few people who've managed to gain a platform and, and it's it's to your credit. I mean, you've created a career out of it. That's that's amazing. But, yeah, you need to. I mean, if you want to talk about ask what I do for like my downtime, well, <laughs> um, watch a lot of television. Yeah, uh, I, I, I wish I could say I read a lot. But I just even don't have the energy to do that. I've got two small children as well. Play music, listen to music. That's good. But otherwise and hang do you know what just hanging out with like my closest friends. Yeah, me too. Which, I mean, and that's been the tragedy of this pandemic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Just not being able to just waste time yeah. with your mates. Yeah. Like you're not even doing anything. You're not even doing anything. You're just like hanging around. Yeah. That's something I miss. And I feel like that, that those moments, even though you feel like what you're not doing and they're not productive, they're so important to like sustain, you know, as a form of sustenance, right? Yeah
0: i'd like to wrap this up because i feel like i've taken
1: oh bless you now this has been like i said this has been um so much fun just reconnecting with you properly generally. yeah
0: Never i wanted to ask as the last question of what's the future for you what are you looking forward to what's on the pipeline is there anything in the pipelines i've
1: got this i've got this new book out which I think, if you're if you listeners are students, they might and they're interested in these issues. I've got a book out called Race Media Culture, which is coming out, uh, or Race Culture Media, or Culture Race Media. I don't know, I don't know those three words in some order, which yeah. is coming out uh, in spring. And it that's and that's and I've written that for students specifically to kind of explore these issues. I've tried to, you know, it's been it was been really fun to try and I really enjoy like making complex ideas and theory trying to make it accessible and relevant. So to students. That's like, you know, one of the pleasures of the job. Um, so I wrote that book, which um which yeah, that's coming out. And then yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just working on a few projects at the moment. I'm like just doing more research kind of um into the experience of people from underrepresented communities work trying to make it in the media and and why it's important that they have those opportunities to 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 you know to flourish creatively if you like. So yeah, so that's that's just the ongoing Ongoing work. I mean, it's just you know, it's an ongoing struggle. I don't think these issues are going to go away. No. Which is, I mean, it's always good because then it means I stay in the job, right?
0: I'm say at least we get paid. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: All about the No, 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 no. Keep it in because it's important. You know, like if we're going to do this work, we might as well get remuneration for it. So. Um, yeah so that's all I've got going on really I'm just looking forward to this lockdown thing it does I mean it felt like last month just after Christmas it felt like we hit the lowest lowest point but then also bizarrely it felt like you could see that was at that point you could see the end of the tunnel as well the light at the end of the tunnel as well yeah. um, and I think we're inching our way closer to it so um, yeah
0: I hope so I really appreciate your time thank you so much but it's been
1: it's really fun, Gem. It's been really fun to talk about these issues with you. And this is such a great initiative. And yeah, you should um, step over Graham Norton. Do you know what I mean? And it's Gem's time to shine.
0: Today, we'll have to get rid of that red chair though, because
1: yeah.
0: I'm not flying out of that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, oh my days. You. Oh Gem, thank you so much.
0: How fantastic is mic? Thank you so much to him for joining me on this week's episode i've got a lot to thank that man uh, for showing me the ways of representation so if you're listening anime thank you and i really hope everybody enjoyed listening to this week's episode see you for the next one bye